You know, as a church, it is good to be able to gather here on a July long weekend, rainy Sunday morning. Uh, it is good to, uh, to be here. And this morning, we're, gonna, we're going to engage in communion. And so if you're online, I would just encourage you to go and find some juice and some bread so you can be prepared for, for our time in communion this morning. Uh, for me, on my heart, when, when we have communion like this, and so if you've been part of who we are as a church family, you know that every week we have communion. We offer communion, and then once once a month, we do this together. We do large communion where you'll come up and you'll partake and grab, grab, uh, grab the elements, take the elements, and then sit back down. And then together, we will join in and, and partaking in them. And it has always been important to me that communion is something that isn't, isn't an add-on when we do it as a large group. It's, it's who we are. It's what we do. It, it is a celebration of Jesus Christ. It is remembering of both his death and his life, his resurrection. And, and we have the opportunity to celebrate that as a church family. And so I want to give it its due. I want to give it its, its surroundings of, of this is what we do this morning. And, and therefore, it is my goal to take the message in 1 John chapter 2, and for us to be able to see how that works and fits into our time in communion this morning. So I'm not trying to bend that passage, but I think it will flow in and, and make it very clear for us. So communion is this opportunity that you and I have of engaging with our Heavenly Father in what Jesus has done. It is an opportunity for us to, be, to, to renew our lives and reflecting on who we are and reflecting on where we are with him. It is an opportunity for us to confess before him our sins. Marita was leading us in that this morning as she was talking about uh, the part of repentance and confession and that we have a God who, who does forgive when you read the account in, in 1 Corinthians and Paul is talking to the church in 1 Corinthians and he is telling them in there um, how you need to conduct yourself when it comes to communion, one of the areas that he talks about is, is coming not as, sin, not as someone who is sinning, but someone who is free of sin. And in, in there, he is telling the people, come prepared, come prepared. So part of helping you be prepared is us being consistent of when we do communion like this as a, as a church. We try to do it on the first of the month so that you can come prepared. You can come dwelling, thinking, and saying, Lord, is there something before you I need to confess? Is there something I need to come before you and say, Lord, um, I need to repent of this? It gives us an opportunity to reconnect, reconnect with our walk and our desire to walk humbly before the Lord. It gives us the opportunity to be refreshed in the Holy Spirit. That's what communion does for us. Oftentimes people say, well, who can partake in communion? Well, actually, it's quite simple. The Bible has made it very clear. It is one who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead. It is one who says that I believe that Jesus is Christ. Pretty simple. It's pretty brilliant. It's pretty wonderful. 
for us. And it is something that we can do at any time in our lives. And if you've done that, if you've confessed, if you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, then this table here before you is open and welcome. So that's kind of the preamble, and I'll come back to the communion table as we move into 1 John chapter 2, or starting in verse 18. If you have your Bibles, please turn to that part there this morning, and, and we're going to take a look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 18, and we will look at the 18 to 21 to begin with. It's not going to be up here on the screen um, this morning, and... Uh, but you can follow along either with your Bible or with me reading it. John writes these words, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belonged to us, for they belonged, for they had belonged to us, they would have remained in a, with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write that you, to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. John is first warning about this Antichrist. And he says this Antichrist is coming. And then he goes on to say, not only is it coming, but it has come. It has come, this Antichrist. I want to use a different word than Antichrist. I want to use the word anti-Messiah. And, and, and here's the reason, because I think in our culture that we live in, in North America, Antichrist has been associated mostly with a person of some future time. When the Antichrist comes, then the world is going to come to the end. It's part of the, part of the, the revelation that we read about in the book of Revelation. It's, it's part of that end times theology. And, and we, we can't miss what, what John is saying here. Because it's not just that the Antichrist is coming. He says the, there's a, the Antichrist has come. Matter of fact, there's many, many Antichrists. So what does he mean here? What does he want us to understand here? And it's this. It is the understanding that the Antichrist is the Antimessiah. It's the one who is not believing that Jesus was the Messiah. That's what they're saying. And that people would come and they would say, oh, I am the Messiah. I am Messiah. Believe in me. I am the one in which has been prophesied that you should believe in me. And through the ages, we've had many people who have declared themselves as a Messiah. You can go and Google it and you can find it and you can see throughout history, many people have declared that they are the Messiah. But we also have a world in which we live in, a society in which we live in that is anti-Messiah, meaning that they do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. 
In our culture today, many people believe that there was a Jesus. They believe that he did live here on earth. He was a very good person. And that, yes, he died, but they do not believe that he rose again. They do not believe that he was and is the Son of God. And if you do not believe that Jesus is and was the Son of God, you are anti-Messiah. And, and, and John wants to warn the church that, listen, this is coming. This has come. This will continue to come until Jesus does come back. And we need to be aware of it. If we do not believe who Jesus is, if we do not believe that he died on the cross, that this, this communion here represents his body and his blood, then we can be easily fooled. But in this, in this verse, in these verses, it talks about you and I remaining in him, that we are his true disciples if we remain in him. And then he says that we have been anointed. You have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. The Holy Spirit is the one who anoints us. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps us to remain in Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who tells us all truth. The Holy Spirit cannot deceive us. The Holy Spirit cannot deceive us. The Holy Spirit cannot and will not lie to us because the Holy Spirit is God, and God cannot lie. God does not deceive. Today, we, pro we, we proclaim when we take the communion, we proclaim this very thing, that Jesus is the Messiah. We proclaim that truth, that he is the Messiah. So who lies? Well, let's look at verses 22 and 23. Who is the liar? It is whomever denies the Son, that, whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist. Denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever has acknowledged the Son has the Father also. So simply put here, who is a liar? The one who denies that Jesus is Christ. He is Christ. That's who is the liar. That Jesus is our Savior. You know, our culture pushes this, doesn't it? Our culture doesn't acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah. If you were to go to work tomorrow and you were to say, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, people would go, what? You might get fired. It's not something that our culture believes in. It wants us to believe in anything other than that Jesus is the Messiah. Our world we live in is pulling us, is drawing us, away from God. And I believe that John is wanting to warn the church that this is, this is the truth. This is, this is the reality that we live in today. It was reality for them, and it's a reality for us. And we war and we fight against those in our world that says, say that Jesus is not the Messiah. I like verse 24. Here it talks about us remaining in Christ. 
How do we push back against a culture that is saying that God or Jesus does not exist? It is remaining in Christ. Look at verse 24. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in me, the Son, remain in the Son and in the Father. Two weeks ago, I had a quote from Dallas Willard. I said, grace is not opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. And I believe that remaining in Christ is something in which you and I put effort into. Remaining isn't something that I sit, ba- I sit down and I say, okay, I'm going to remain and in Christ and, 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 and God's going to do something in me. He does do something in me, but there's also, as, as Marita shared with us from Matthew chapter 11, where he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. James writes that he says, draw near to me, or draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. So there's, there's an action for you and I to be involved in. And remaining means that you and I engage with him in our decisions. What decisions do you have in your life? What are you facing when you leave here? What decisions are about you today? Remaining in him is is taking those decisions before him and saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? There was today, Alana talked about a, a, a young woman who's looking for a place to live. And we, we do that because we believe that, that we need to be in, for, and with our community. You have a place that you live. God has blessed you with that place. But it's his place. It's his resources. Rain and I have talked about this. What I have is his, not mine, but his. Remaining in him is engaging and saying, God, this is what you've given me. How, how do you want me to use it? How are you directing me to use it? You've got talents, you have gifts, you have abilities. Remaining in him is active. It's engaging with him in your reasoning. As you reason through problems, as you reason through situations, as you reason through life, it's engaging with him and saying, Lord, I believe that you are in me through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to remain in you and I will remain in you in my reasoning. Remaining in him is in your attitude. Engaging with him in your attitude. Remaining in him is an action. And that's why we do communion, because communion is that action where we're drawn back in, in remaining in him and remembering him and engaging with him. Each time we partake in communion, we are proclaiming that Christ is Savior. That's an action. You take a little wafer, and we're all going to crunch that little wafer. Isn't that a great sound in here? You all know we're doing something together. When you take that, you can't help but smile. And you take and you put it in your mouth and, and we all crunch it together. 
but you are, you are taking an action. I believe that's why Jesus wanted us to come back to this, to remind us that it's not just sitting and going, okay, God, what are you going to do? Where he says, come to me and let us do it together. It's an action. We take a cup and we drink that together. It's an action. And he comes to the last part in verse 25. And he says, and this is what he promised to us, eternal life. You and I have eternal life. We have eternal life. It's not something that we're going to have. If we confess that Jesus is Lord, and if we believe that God raised him from the dead, you and I have eternal life right now. I'm looking for something here. I am. I, I, I know it's a kind of a dreary Sunday morning day and stuff like that, and I know we're a Baptist church and everything, but I'm looking for something. So I'll just say it again. We have eternal life. Amen. All right. Oh, all right, I feel better now. I want to change a word. I want to change another word here. Changed already anti-Messiah, anti-Christ, anti-Messiah. I want to change this. What if we look at this as eternal living? You and I have been given eternal living. Why is that important? Because again, like Antichrist, it brings us to a, a, a moment in time where an eternal living brings us to today. We have eternal life right now. It's not something that we're going to have. One day we will enjoy eternal life without any sin, without any sorrow, without any pain, without anybody stealing anything from us or robbing us. We're not going to be in any of that one day that will be in its trueness, but today, right now, we are, we do, we are, we are in eternal living today because we have an eternal Christ in us. And, and when I look at this, it's, it's, he has promised us in Christ, communion, that we have eternal living. That's what we're celebrating. We have hope today. So we come to the communion table. It is pro proclaiming the truth and the life of Jesus. It's an opportunity for us to celebrate Jesus Christ. It's an opportunity for us to celebrate eternal living together. And so I want to invite us to come, to come to the Father this morning in communion, to celebrate what Jesus has done.